0: Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Cultural Stew Podcast, a bi-weekly cultural entertainment podcast where we give you recommendations, giving you our take on what we think is worth carving out your time for, also what we think you can pass on, and, you know, maybe go cut that lawn instead. Warning, there may be spoilers ahead. My name is Ron Herkins, Jr., and I would like to welcome you to the Cultural Stew podcast. I'm here today with my host, my co-hosts, Val Vidmar and Tony Carter. I am a photographer, a filmmaker, and I come to this uh, from that background. Um, I love movies, um, and I've been watching them for a very long time, and they have influenced me greatly. Tony, tell us a little about who you are.
1: Uh, let's see. I'm a writer and a director, and I come... From that background, I love movies and musicals, and I'm a theater geek, some people may say. I love to watch things other people won't watch. I love foreign films, and I love watching just about anything. So you can come to me and ask me anything about those things. Also, rare facts about movies, that's my thing too, and I think that's about it.
0: And Val, who are you?
2: I'm a Jayhawk. Anyway, I graduated from the University of Kansas, and I, uh, the background is uh, film theory and English degrees, which basically I never used in any of my jobs until now, um, but that's uh, my background. I've been watching movies, again, like all of us, I guess, for the, our entire lives, and probably a little bit more than the average Joe, um, and I write poetry prose and I'm kind of like an inspiring playwright who struggles with writer's block a lot but that's me
0: it's taken me about five years to get to this point where I've been comfortable to actually put together a podcast I'm grateful I was actually able to find two people who are just as excited about talking about whether it be film TV music anything um, and trying to figure out what we wanted to do with the podcast and deciding that maybe we can just give our recommendations whether it's something that is good or not. Today, we're going to talk about um, a little bit of news. We're going to go through our watch list, discuss the uh, couple winners, a couple contenders in the upcoming award season, and maybe a couple things that we want to pass on. We're going to switch over to one of our topics today. We're going to talk about uh, critics and the rating systems. And then we're going to talk about a media of the week that we all watched, Dunkirk, and we're also going to talk about a few things to look forward in the upcoming weeks. So let's move on to the news. So what big things happened this week, Val?
2: I was going to talk about the SAC Awards, which are on uh, tonight, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. They're on TNT and TBS. And I have my picks, but I'm not sure if anybody's interested. I can give you a little trivia. That uh tonight actually um, three billboards and Ladybird are the only ones that are up for the top three awards, and if they think the three billboards is gonna take all three that's actually the only the fourth time that's ever happened i um, which I I personally have down as my picks, and another interesting tidbit is if Frances McDormand wins, then she will be the only woman who's won twice. The SAGs are pretty new; I mean, they didn't come around until like the mid '90s, so
0: right around the time Fargo came around, they created it just for her. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, but um, so that's kind of interesting. I I do think that. Uh, Three Volt Awards is going to do very well tonight.
0: I'm not a huge SAGS person. It's not something I've ever watched before. I did take a quick glance at the list. A um, couple of my thoughts on that uh, Gary Oldman, if he doesn't win that, I retire from watching awards and believing in awards ever. Um, best actor, uh, hands down this year. Uh, a couple surprises that I saw on there uh, Mary J. Blige for Mudbound. Mm-hmm. I think we've all seen Mudbound here. Mudbound. Um, Fantastic film, and her role was great in that. And then just to see her name on the list, I was like, ah, she got nominated. That's great. Agreed. Um, Have you all seen Get Out?
1: Yes. I have not.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, such a good movie. That's actually one of the surprising, like, top probably top five of the year films. Um, But it's on there. And then, you know, Millie Bobby Brown and Laura Linney. You know, it's nice to see the kid getting uh, some good... uh, nomination there, and Laura Linney the surprise, like, Ozark nomination. Yeah. Um, Ozark, I, I enjoyed the show. I did, too. Um thought it was great. I thought it was well-written, and to see her uh, getting a little bit of love was good. Uh, some other awards coming up. Um, we got the Grammys coming January 28th. I don't follow the Grammys a lot. Um, I kind of scrolled through the list today. It just... Was literally just a scroll, 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 scroll for about twenty minutes till I got down to the bottom, which was the stuff I was interested in, which was musical theater and scoring, to see what was on the list. Um, Dear Evan Hansen, if it doesn't win, that it's a, it's a shame. The music is probably the best thing out there. But Pasek and Paul getting all the love all the way across. They are on there for Devin, Dear Evan Hansen, but they're also on there for La La Land um, and City of Stars, so they're going to clean up. Um, in the Grammys. So they're going to be, let's see, they'll have a Tony, they'll have a Oscar, they'll have a Grammy, and they o- they're only missing the one thing out of that. Is it for- Emmy? Emmy? Emmy. The only thing they're missing is the Emmy. So that's uh, a pretty impressive for a group that in the last couple of years just came out of the middle of nowhere and I think they're great writing tandem and it's great to hear the music. come. How out. old are they? Young kids. They're young. They're, they're probably in their mid thirties at most. At most. Uh, following up the Grammys, we got the BAFTAs on February 18th, not really interested in it, but it's always a good predictor going forward to see what's going to be coming up on the Oscars on March 4th. The nominations come out this Tuesday and, uh, It'll be interesting to see who's going to get nominated for what. Um, you don't have that flexibility that you have with the other award show, like Golden Globes, with a couple extra categories. You don't end up with the SAGs where you have a couple extra categories. This is the down and dirty to see who's going to actually. I come
2: believe. Out. I believe that if uh, they, if the five women that they think are going to get nominated, um, will be. The first time since 1977, I believe, that the five lead actresses are actually in the five major motion picture, the, the, best, in sh- like the best in show.
0: So the five nominated mo- best motion pictures are also going to be the
1: five nominated
2: women. Yeah, that hasn't happened in a long time.
1: Are hmm. they going to stop the extended best picture nominations this year or are they going to stick with the five? Because I know they've been fluctuating numbers.
0: I think last year, didn't they say they brought it back from 10 because there just wasn't enough out there that was worth giving 10 to?
2: I think that they said that they would make it to 10, but they didn't have to fill the 10.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, and this year, I don't know if you'd get past five. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them out there that are, I would call, good. Yeah. But great? Not really. So, we're going to have our little preview on the 18th. Uh, we are actually recording on March 4th, which is actually Oscar Day. So, we'll give you our picks and uh, what we think is going to happen. So, we're all looking forward to uh, the nominations on Tuesday to see what's coming out. Uh, let's see, what else? We had uh, Dolores, I am going to butcher her name. Do you know how to pronounce her name right? Dolores O'Riordan the lead singer of the Irish brand Cranberries died on Monday. Uh, she was 46. I remember getting into music, uh, when I first kind of broke off from my parents' music, you know, my parents dragged me along with oldies music and country music until I was about 10 or 11. And I started trying to getting into my own thing. And, uh, she was among one of the first groups I kind of discovered outside of that little bubble. Um, and, uh, she was,
2: she was my college experience. I mean, she's linked to uh, She's linked to some things that are kind of close to my heart there. That's all. I mean, you have girls that are all in a dorm and listening to this music, and some of us aren't here anymore. So, I don't know. It's one of those things where her music brings back a lot of good feelings. So it's, kind of, it's a sad thing. But we don't know what happened Correct.
0: Uh, all, alls I read was it was unexpected and sudden. That was the only the last things I saw on it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, forty six years old.
2: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: any new trailers this week that you saw?
2: I saw a lot of trailers. Um, I saw trailers for. Let's see here. Uh, Winchester, which is coming out actually, on my birthday, which is like a horror movie. January 28th? February 2nd. February 2nd. Yeah. And then I saw the...
0: I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, though. Winchester. So that's we'll save that a little bit later, why I'm looking forward to that movie.
2: Why? You can talk about it right now? I'll talk about it. The little secrets until later. Um, And then uh, I did see uh, Leisure Seeker. Um, which I thought, has anybody seen that preview for Leisure Seeker?
0: Is that the one with Helen Mirren also? Yeah. And Donald, Donald Sutherland? Sutherland?
2: Yeah, that uh, actually looks heartwarming. And I saw the Red Sparrow uh, trailer with, uh, give me her Jennifer name. Jennifer Lawrence. Thank yeah. you. Um, who does a lot of, she goes through a lot of uh, transformations in that. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm looking forward to The Red Sparrow. That one kind of intrigues me a little bit to see her a Intriguing. breaking a little bit from character. Uh,
2: um, yeah, she's definitely...
1: It read well, too. I actually read the screenplay for that. Did it? It read very well. Good. It was surprising. Who, who
2: wrote it? You
1: know, I don't have a name offhand. I should. It's all good. But, yeah. Um, very suspenseful read. Very long, but very rewarding at the end.
2: So. Okay. Good to know. Um, I also saw The 1517 to Paris... Um, that's Plenty's Clint Eastwood's. Um, I thought that looked good. I mean, I have like a plus sign after that. Is he back? No, he's directing it. He's
0: directing it. And the actors that are the main actors are the actual people that did the, or had the experience. Okay. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I didn't know Um, that. there was a couple things, even watching the trailer, that I'm like, I could use a good actor. Um... Yeah, but, hey, it's all worth it to see what's going to come in the end. Um, new Tomb Raider trailer came out. I'm a action geek, so I'm looking forward to that one. Um, it's been a while since Angelina Jolie was Tomb Raider, and now it's Alicia Vikander. Thank you. Thank, that's the name. Uh, it's looking good. Um, I think the second trailer fixed some of the flaws of what they released with the, the first trailer.
1: I prefer Alicia over Angelina, actually. I mean, and I saw Angelina. I said, wow, we're just going for the body. But the story, when I was watching those, didn't overwhelm me. But Alicia looks like, they're actually having a story. They're really delving. In, I mean, it's based on a video game. And I played almost all of her video games from PlayStation to the present. So I'm excited to see that transition from CGI to real life. And I think Alicia fits the character more. She's not too tall, not too short, the right build.
0: And outside of Alicia, it's got two of my other, like, top favorite actors in there. I mean, Walter Groggins. I mean, do you ever see Justified? No. Probably one of my top ten written shows ever. Really? It was clever, and Groggins is probably one of the, the best actors um, on TV and, and streaming uh, realm. And to see him taking on a, a film role, you know, as the big bad, the big bad guy in this film. So, uh, yeah, so other things that came out. We got some new Jack White music this week, uh, a couple of his singles. Uh, I'll talk about his music later. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 came out on Blu-ray in 4K. Um, I almost picked that up the other day, but instead I picked up Dunkirk. <laughs> but it's on my list of things to pick up. That is my hands-down pick for best cinematography of the year. Um, it is just a fantastic movie. Dunkirk? No, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner. Okay. Blade Runner 2049.
2: I just am still upset about the fact that the director's cut's not coming out. There is no director's cut. He decided against it. Ooh.
1: The director. Is it the director or the studio?
2: I would say the director. I mean, I think that uh, the director's cut, that's up to him. Why mm-hmm. would you want a director's cut Well, on that one? because the first, it's the first movie that I ever bought. So it was on VHS. It was my first movie, and it was the director's cut of Bl- the first Blade Runner. And so I guess I was feeling nostalgic and wanting to have the same. My husband says that I just want more of Ryan, which is possible.
0: I, th- I think if they would put out any alternate cut, it would probably be a studio cut because it was long. Right. He said The director's wanted- cut was longer, and that's what we ended up getting. I feel what we got was actually the director's cut because the studios will, opt- will typically lean you towards making a shorter cut because it'll get more people to watch the film.
2: Well, they had two movies worth of a film. Yeah. So it would have been interesting.
0: So we got that. Uh, Marvel's Agents of Field, S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm a big TV buff when it comes to Marvel films and Marvel shows. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now is ranking this season as the highest Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which is good. That means good things for it for the future. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see something successful that came from the Marvel Universe be able to go forward. However, Marvel's Inhumans is probably going to get canceled as probably the worst thing that Marvel has ever put out on TV. Um, I love a couple of the actors in it, but it just did not play well on TV.
1: Bad writing or direction? Bad story. Okay.
0: I mean, there, there wasn't anything really good, get... And when you got a person who... Um, I'm blank on his name he was in hell on wheels who took over the the lead as the actor for his plays black bolt in in humans and you know black bolt doesn't say a word and you have a great actor who it's just all physical presence oh. um it's kind of hard and i think that might have been you know with a really sappy story and you know they cut off medusa's hair in the first episode so she's medusa without any hair for the whole thing so it's you know they they had this whole cgi budget and they blew it to make medusa's hair for the first episode to get it cut off so that they can not have to produce her hair for the rest of the episodes
1: Bad decisions.
0: so a lot of bad decisions on that all right so that wraps up our news now we're gonna go talk about what we saw over the last couple of weeks um so tony what'd you see
1: I saw three billboards outside Ebbing. So that's uh, one Best Drama at the Golden Globes this year, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor, and Best Screenplay. Um, I was kind of blown away by it. This is the first Martin McDonough film that had heart. Um, I've seen his other attempts, and this one had, I think, had more weight, and it wasn't just Francis crying and emoting and being angry. I mean, at the ending of the film, where Sam and Francis come together, their characters, and they sort of reconcile their differences, came a long way for me. And I think that Sam did a phenomenal job. I mean, there's a lot of actors who play racist and then they have a change of heart, but Sam's character actually really did it about face in a natural way. It wasn't like forced, like, okay, now I have to change my heart. It was like, It was there all along, but It had to be opened up and we didn't really understand why Sam's character was racist or what he actually did It was he say she say and a lot of debate and we knew he did something wrong But at the end of the day, he made a choice and sacrificed himself to for the better good And I like that. Woody Harrelson also surprised me a lot in this film.
2: I loved him in this movie.
1: He plays usually a lot of the same but he um, didn't I mean, all have go ahead.
2: I'm sorry, I just thought, felt when I saw him in this movie, I felt like it was one of my top picks for him in a movie that I've, that I've seen him do. I just really enjoyed him in this movie. Between him and
1: uh, Sam, were are doing this ping-pong back and forth with each other, too, which I liked, where we have one extreme and then a softer extreme, and I think between the three of them, Francis, Woody, and Sam, I think they carried the film. I mean, I love Peter a lot, but I felt Peter was underused. This Peter Dinklage was underused in this film, but I think everything came together acting-wise, and it took Martin's screenplay and took it to a different level. Reading it, it was totally different from actually seeing it, which is usually the case, but I think these actors took what he had and gave it really, like I said, heart, and I would give that a see it.
0: Awesome. How about you, Val? What'd you watch this week?
2: I went to go see um, Call Me By Your Name. Um... Which was actually recommended to me by a couple of friends. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to this one next. And I loved it. I went to go see it, actually, at, in, uh, at Pittsburgh. And there were probably five of us in there. Um, and there's a lot to say about this movie. But I feel like uh, it it was so meaningful to me, I guess, because it, it it touches on so many things that we've all, well, at least that I've felt in my life, like with with the first love and, and the anticipation or not quite, and the confusion of, of love and um, how you're feeling, because you're kind of breaking your heart open at the beginning of when you fall in love. It's a scary thing, and being confused, and especially, uh, in this case when you have a 17 year old boy who uh has feelings for i think he's probably um Armie Hammer is probably 22 uh playing a 22 year old um he's coming in uh they're in italy and they're, he's coming in for the summer and to help his father they have uh students come in for the summer every summer so this is how he meets them and it's just the relationship that progresses, um, his parents are fantastic people. The, I think it's worth seeing if you just go to see the end, the ending and the father and how he deals with this heartbroken son, um, which I won't give away why he's heartbroken, I suppose. Um, but his speech to his son at the end of the movie is phenomenal. The writing is... Uh, yeah, I just said to somebody that I was going to print out the speech and frame it and put my home.
0: Hey, did you said this was based on a book?
2: Yeah, it's based on the book. In fact, I'm actually listening to the book uh, right now. Army Hammer is uh, narrating it. So it actually gives you a lot more... Uh, it fills in a lot of questions I had, so it it really does a good job of like, oh, okay, You're like wondering. I had questions too, like why is he acting this way? Why why is this happening? And now I'm understanding a lot more.
0: that's the typical hitch when you have a book that's being transitioned to in a movie. Things are going to be left out, and you know it's it's up to the director and the, you know what what is going to be the key things that he pulls out and ends up putting in that movie and what can the audience fill in the gaps with
2: it was really i felt like the ending was particularly poetic i feel like maybe i'm pulling too much into it uh it reminded me the shot is um of the kid sitting in front of the fire after his father basically tells him you don't shove these feelings away if you're feeling these pain feel the feel these feelings um and so he's sitting in front of the fire and the fire's reflecting in his face and in the background uh, there's a window with snow coming down and they had just shown you um, scenes where the snow was covering up all of their landscaping out there and I just felt like here it is he's warming up he's trying to to ward off all of the snow all of that cold that comes into and covers up and his eyes are filling with tears and I don't know it it was really moving I thought it was a great shot
0: so what's your bottom line
2: go see it okay
0: moving on I uh finally caught up and I finally caught a marvelous Mrs. Maisel this week um it's has been on my list for a little while, and I guess kind of the kick in the ass by uh, the Golden Globes was to actually finally watch it. Um, hilarious! Um, it's got Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, Tony Shaloub, and um, Marion Hinkle, among others. Um, a lot of bit actors that have been in plenty of things uh, pop up here and there. It's, you know, a creation of Amy Sherman Palladino, who is of Gilmore Girls fame, which um, to me means nothing, but to my wife means everything. And that was kind of her, you know, as soon as she realized that, oh, it's Gilmore Girls, uh, mm-hmm. she had to watch it. So it gave me an excuse to basically, as we had free time this week, to sit there and watch it. And the one thing I have to say about this is phenomenal writing. The the speed of which the actors talk, especially Rachel Brosnan's character as Mrs. Meisel, It's so snappy and so witty. And then to watch and examine as she transitions to trying to become a comedian and the heartaches that she goes through as she breaks up with her husband and she brings that raw stuff into her act as she's just discovering how funny she is um, are the best pieces of the show. You know, she walks on a drunk on a stage for the first time is absolutely hilarious So she completely rips apart her family she rips apart her husband and it's just raw and real and it's something that you know i'm not around the com- the comedian world so i don't get to see that and you know of course it's fictionalized so it's but it's based on pieces and events of real comedians lives and they have lenny bruce kind of being threaded throughout the whole season and the guy who plays lenny bruce is solid i don't have his name off the hand but he's solid throughout the whole season and he plays a big role in shaping what ends up becoming um the key point right at the end of the show and i just i highly recommend the show it's phenomenal writing phenomenal acting
2: what year does it take place uh
0: 1958 1960 range i
2: think well i feel like uh, that makes a big difference
0: I, I i in terms of a set piece and a time piece i think it's gorgeous yeah and you know, it, it makes a huge difference. You know, they, the, the fathers reference the war and the stuff that they were involved with during that. And, you know, she's a Jewish girl, and all that that comes with being a Jewish New Yorker is just entrenched in her and being an upscale Jewish New Yorker even more. And um, breaking out and, and being able to do this. And, and, yeah, it's basically you just watching the walls of her life just come crumbling down to the point where she's raw, and she's fighting with that whole, you know, I'm um, high society my society (laughs) and uh going forward so it's on my list as a highly recommended see it it's streaming on amazon prime right now and i can't wait for season two
2: awesome i saw two episodes i'm two episodes in so i'm ready to keep 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 going forward
0: and my wife had something to do yesterday and i snuck in uh episode the last episode just so i can get it in and i I was glad I did because the, the ending of how everything wraps up for season one was totally worth it. That's good. So,
1: how many episodes are there? Eight. Eight. Nice number.
0: Yes. And they're they're about an hour long. Okay. So, but they're it, they're solid shows. I mean, their music is is good choice selection. Okay. So, hmm. on to round two, Val. What did you see?
2: I went to go see the post um, which Steven Spielberg. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing with Steven Spielberg.
0: I love Spielberg.
2: Okay. Even though I sat and watched the Golden Globes and sat and saw them all at the table, I just was not connecting. Nothing connected at all to my brain because that happens when you are dealing with little children and yeah, and a house that's under construction constantly. Um, so when I went to see the movie, I knew I was going to see Hanks and Streep. Um, I will say that Meryl Streep, I, I am a Meryl Streep fan, but she was, she was fantastic. If you're going to see it, then she's the reason to see it. Hanks was okay. Um, my problem with it was that I kind of sat there thinking that everything looked really, for lack of a better word, staged. Like it was, they looked like they were trying too hard to be in that time period. Like um, the cab driver, like front and center, he looked like, yes, you look like you have a fake mustache and you look like your clothes or like everything. I guess I was really dealing with details. So it
0: looked more like maybe a British uh, 80s TV show.
2: Yeah. And the way they, you know, the way he did, they dealt with uh, Nixon, you know, it's always outside the window, looking in on, it's obvious that it's him with his uh, profile and talking. And, you know, I just found it to be. when Steven Spielberg's name popped up at the end I was shocked I just kept thinking you've got to be kidding me how is somebody looking through their lens thinking that this is good but
1: was it a rush job you think
2: I don't know it seemed it seemed like it rushed to me only because I felt like there were so many details Uh, of course we'll talk about it later but there's so many details that were just, like, barely there. Or, you know, if you compare it to, like, the scenery in The Shape of Water and all the detailing, it, there's nothing there. And you're basically just watching Meryl. And Meryl's a good reason to watch it. So if you love Meryl Streep, go see the movie.
1: There are times when uh, movies do rush for Oscar time. And I call that Oscar baiting, or just Oscar bait. Steven has done that a couple times in the past, with Munich, for example. Um, he does good work. He really does, but I think now Steven's at the point where he's just trying to do topical stuff. And I think uh, I mentioned this before. Every generation has a, all their president's men. Mm-hmm. And we had Spotlight a couple years ago, which I think was phenomenal. It was even paced. The characters had heart. And even reading um, even reading the film. It felt like they were just rushing to get this done because it's timely and because it's Trump and this and that. and
2: That was another thing I had an issue with. The jabs. At, it's obviously jabs at Trump and versus the press and president versus the press, etc.
0: Bringing a lot of politics into it and at le- this time of the year. Yeah, and
2: I felt like some of the lines that they had to deliver like right in front of the screen and he'd give them one-liners to have to come right in front of the screen and say it like as they're about to walk off, I felt like, oh God, like it was just, I'm in the minority.
0: You talk about Oscar baiting and you know, Spielberg and Spielberg has this thing that if you've looked at his career over the last 10 years, he kind of does things in pairs. He always does two movies kind of at the same time. And this year it's the post and ready player one. Right. And a couple years ago it was BFG and bridge of spies. Right. Well, they're talking about a little news that came out today, I think, it was today or yesterday, about his next two films. And I just kind of had to shake my head on his choice of what he's looking at. One is, of course, Indiana Jones 5. Um, Harrison Ford is going to be like 90 by the time that movie's (laughs) put out. Um, I love Indiana Jones. I love Spielberg. I love Harrison Ford. But I think it's time to move on from them. And his other choice is West Side Story. Oh, and I cannot figure out for the life of me why would they even touch doing a remake on the West Side Story. I don't know. But those are the two things that he's looking at. Is his next pair of projects?
2: Is he doing it as musical?
0: We don't know the details. It's not confirmed. Nothing's come out as one hundred percent. But in his way of doing things in pairs, that's the looking forward. And when I saw the West Side Story attached to Steven Spielberg, I just kind of was like, that's not a pairing. I'm i had interested.
1: the same feeling when i saw clint eastwood attached to jersey boys so <laughs> that was the weirdest thing ever my wife and i saw that movie she loves jersey boys loves to, you're watching it and cringing like why would clint touch this this is not his thing it there's hurt. a lot yeah.
2: there's a lot of movies that i don't understand why people touch again just leave them alone they're good as they are
0: all right moving on uh i'm gonna skip over my turn and let tony tell us about our next
1: uh, well, let's see. I saw The Disaster Artist by James Franco. Uh, he directed that. That seems to be his passion project.
2: I'm going to groan. I just want to put in my groan. You can do it right now. Right, groaning right now.
1: Well, James surprised me during this film. I mean, people can say, oh, he's playing a caricature of you know Tommy, but, I mean, Tommy's easily able to be parodied and made fun of. Because, I mean, his voice is unique, so you can say, oh, he's making fun of... Tommy, but he's not. He's really invested. And this film is actually about the making of a film, which is great. Usually these films kind of fail, but I think the fact that Dave Franco, James's younger brother in the film, was with him, it helped bring it more seriousness because Dave is trying to be serious, trying to be a good actor. Not saying that James isn't, but James is usually goofs around a lot and improvises and makes a mess and he's high all the time. But um I really thought the film was good. I really think that they really, for me, the friendship between Dave and James' characters, Tommy, and I forget his best friend's name, but um, that carried the film for me. That was more important than actually the hygienics of Tommy on set. Seeing them grow from being strangers to friends to saying, this is for you. And then the ending, which wasn't based in fact at all, is. The ending was great for what it was, but knowing the history of the film, that payoff wouldn't happen until years later, like now. But they put it at the end of that film, in that past, to make it all come together. And it worked for me. So I would give that a C.
2: Have you seen Ed Wood? I have, yes. Okay. Did you like that movie? It was okay. Okay. So they were going to disagree there, too. So we're... Definitely, yeah.
1: I think it's a generational thing. I mean... I appreciate what it was for and what it, what it was, but it wasn't really like, wow, to me, but...
2: this sort of, it reminds me of, yeah. it's kind of that thing, but you're saying...
1: I would see it again, just for the fact that you're You would see it again. It. I would see it again, like probably once or twice more, just for the fact that... Are you that kidding? Not for James. Again, it's not the acting, because the acting seems like it's one big party, we're all friends. I mean, you have Seth Rogen in the film, too, and you have, you know, all their buddies. It's more for the story itself, not the actors. It's... Okay. The story.
2: Interesting. I saw
0: also this week was the end of the effing world on Netflix. Um, it's got Jessica Barden as the lead female, Alyssa and Alex Lother as uh, her boyfriend. Um, really, 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 really interesting piece, um, series. It starts off with Alex... Uh, Basically, all the all the characters are giving uh, voiceover narrations and um, telling what their actions are going to be and what they're thinking at the moment. So you have these quick cuts of everything that's going on, and it starts off with Alex being a very, sui- not suicidal, a um, psychopath and wanting to basically kill Alyssa and how he's going to do it. And in the process of that, um, they become boyfriend-girlfriend, and he decides to delay that out and... Killer at a later date as they romp around the country trying to find or romp around the the countryside trying to find her father. Um, I really did not like it. I thought it was going to. I love British uh, British series. I think they're hilarious, especially dark comedy. Uh, This one at times made me uncomfortable just because the whole time you're watching two teenagers Mm -hmm. and some of the situations that come up in terms of two teenagers is just like, well, you know what? I really don't. Like what I'm watching here, and but I stuck it out and just watched to the end just to give a fair assessment on it. And my take is, leave it, you know, don't bother with it. It's not something I would requ- uh and not something I would recommend. At How long time. is it? Eight episodes. Mm, okay. Eight half-hour episodes. <laughs> not bad. So it goes by quick, but. The writing is witty. It's smart. I it just, for me, it just, it just didn't fly. I just didn't, I didn't appreciate watching teenagers in that. Like, if they changed the setting and it was maybe college-age people, I'd feel more comfortable with the fact that it was teenagers and they're, you know, you're talking about sex situations. You're talking about murdering people and their parents. And it's just like, I just, I didn't really want to deal with it. And,
2: but you kept with it. I
0: kept with it just because I'm like, I got to see how this ends. And so it,
2: it kept your interest at least then?
0: I'll watch really crappy stuff all the way through. I can't.
2: I can't do, I that. Can't do there, that. There's a couple
0: things where I'll turn it off. But Ugh. this, I I think I might have zoned out for episodes four, five, and six. Okay. And then all of a sudden I realized it was in episode seven. I'm like, well, I might as well finish it. Because um, sometimes even if you... Stretch it out and hold on. Maybe there's a redeeming episode later on that you're like, okay, but none. Maybe no, 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 no not a thing.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: another movie I watched this week is Twelve Strong. I have a man crush on Chris Hemsworth, and I'll probably see pretty much anything that he's in. I um, just think he's he's one of those guys that if he was in the 30s or 40s, he'd be plastered over every billboard and he'd be the, the strong man. And he he is to a degree, but there's so many out there right now that he kind of gets lost in the mix when he does something that's not, uh, Thor or Marvel. Um, so to see him take on this lead role, um, but the real strengths of this movie came in, you know, it's got Michael Shannon, it's got Michael Pena in it. Um, directed by Nikolai, F- uh, Fugs- I can't pronounce his name. Um, never seen anything of his don't recognize his name um so it was really interesting um the only reason i'm really calling this one out is at this point over the last 10 years i'm kind of burned out by war movies there's been a lot of them and it's very hard for a movie to actually stand out as something different this actually stood out as something just a tad bit different and it was worth watching it uh, Michael Pena gets all the good lines. You know, there's a little bit of humor inflected, and Michael Pena is the typical guy to get those humor lines. You know, you watch Ant-Man, he gets the humor lines. Um, Tw- but,
2: Twelve Strong is it meaning? Twelve Strong
0: um, is the story of the horse soldiers um, that were the first battalion that went in during um, the invasion into Afghanistan. Okay. Um, after... Uh, the towers fell in two thousand one. So it tells about this division that, you know, they go in, they're they're trying to get to um Moser I Moser Sharif and the taking of that. And it really the key part of it is Hemsworth's relationship with um the lead warlord and you know, how Hemsworth goes from being this guy who's never been in battle um to this old guy who basically said um uh, comes down to something was like you get your orders from all these other people that are above you i get my orders from god and it was hemsworth you know
2: you can't really compete with that
0: yeah grappling that yeah <laughs> here i am he's a new guy but he's the captain of this whole team and he's got hard warden war hardened uh members on his team and they just Is it something I would say, see it in theaters. Don't rush to see it in theaters. But if it comes out on video, streaming, put it on your queue list. I mean, I wouldn't say skip it just because it, like I said, it's among war movies. It's something that actually stands out. It's not going to get the greatest reviews, I think, mainstream. Um, Probably mainly because there's been a lot of movies over the last 10 years. And a lot of really, there's a couple good ones. American Sniper is one of them that kind of stood out over the Uh, last 10 years. No. No?
2: No. I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree with that one. But,
0: but the the point is is there is very very few. And um you know they they don't shy away from the graphic violence. There's I mean it's full on in your face. How so, was the
2: cinematography?
0: It was okay. I mean it wasn't nothing special that stood out. Okay. The key moments for me were uh one of the battle scenes where you know you know they're riding the horses straight on through the battle scenes and you know watching that part of the cinematography stood out. You know, it was a good use of some slow motion mm-hmm. mixed with some nice wide shots. Looked good. But the rest of the movie, it was just, you know, they filmed it in New Mexico, so it's mm. going to look like the desert, and it's going to look the same, so there's nothing that really stands out.
1: Can you talk to me about um, William Fichtner? Oh Billy Fichtner. The biggest mistake in the
0: whole movie. They shaved William Fichtner's head. And he does not look good with a bald head. And so every time he was on screen, he just stood out a for them. He's usually mainly had long hair right. or at least shoulder length hair, and they just shaved his head. I don't know. it was a weird decision. I, I know <laughs> I know they, they base these things after true stories, and you know maybe like the person that they based him off had shaved hair, or maybe William Fickner is doing something else that he needed a shaved head, but it was just one of those decisions that stick out
1: like why? Distracting. Okay. Yeah,
0: it was very distracting because he looks. If you watch the Coneheads during, when they used to be on, you mm. had a Conehead
1: completely flattened. Oh. oh. God.
0: It just, some people just can't pull off a bald look. Billy, no. He was one of them. So.
1: I, met, <laughs> I met Billy during Go, so that's when I first saw him, and yeah, I don't, him, with, he's come a long way. Billy's come a long way in his acting. Did, it was
0: a film around here you just did, right? I
1: think. It was a Buffalo
0: Buffalo, Buffalo.
1: yes. Okay. And he went to Brockport for a time, and yeah, Criminal Justice. I love him as an actor. He's yeah. one of my
0: favorite actors. But just, not the it was a decision that I was like, I
2: know
0: what the heck they're doing?
1: So I saw Shape of Water, Del Toro's latest film. And I would say now that's one of the most beautiful films I've seen all year. Agreed. I mean, everything came together for that film. The sound, the set, the acting, everything, every small detail. I mean, they shot that up in Hamilton and Toronto, my two favorite places in Canada, and you wouldn't know it, but it's supposed to be taking place in Baltimore, actually, and it's just gorgeous. I mean, Sally Hawkins was just phenomenal. I mean, she played mute, but it didn't matter. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie, well, I have several, but comic-wise, I think her just flicking off, you know, Michael Shannon's character, just signing, F you, just priceless to me. It made me laugh, and. A lot of people who were there were like, "Huh?" in the theater. But I'm like, if you know the context, you're paying attention. You know exactly what she's saying. And of course, that just sold me right there. I'm like, "Wow, this is clever." And Del Toro wasn't writing alone this time, thank goodness. Which I like his films, but he needs help writing a lot. So Vanessa Taylor helped him with that, and just everyone. The music, Desplat, has done a lot of work, and you can tell it's his music. But
2: the music played a big part. Right. Of it, I felt like
1: Desplat one for. Golden Globe, right?
2: He did, yes. I thought, uh, there were some moments in that movie that were just the little dancing scene. Right. At dinner. And, and um, just even, I th- felt like dancing. They also had this thing where she walks by and sees shoes on display. And then they have the kind of same thing with her roommate, uh, with uh, Jenkins. Yes. Uh, and he sees desserts on display it's just kind of funny the way they his uh,
0: repetition throughout the film
2: and the fact that do you mind if i i'm just gonna go ahead the fact the fact that there are no parties. the fact that um she's trying to explain why she wants to break him out of there and how he sees her as whole He doesn't see that there's anything wrong or anything missing from her, Um, which is something that we all would want. Um, Whereas she is mute, it it comes across very, I mean, immediately, if you're trying to talk to her, you're going to know immediately where um, Jenkins is gay. And you wouldn't know unless he,
0: yeah, you don't know it until you have the, the diner scene.
2: Yeah, and so, you, you know, know... Everything
0: it, is completely natural up to that point when he tries to hit on the guy, and he, or he says, the, uh, did, you, did he look at me? Did he look at me? Yeah. Did you see him looking at me?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are things that you can hide, things that you can't hide, and uh, I felt like the colors uh, that they used, the blues and the greens, were beautiful. And I felt the, the, the way they used the color of where they worked and made it grimy and gritty. And uh, he has a lot of evil. He has a lot of evil in his movies. And that bothers me. Like, I know that there's evil in the world. But man, when he, uh, toward the end, uh, when the... Michael Shannon? Gets shot through. Okay. okay. It's the, um... The scientist. Uh, the scientist, He scientists, gets yeah. He gets shot through the the cheek. And Michael Shannon basically picks him up like a fish and is pulling him. Like, that's how you would pick up a fish. I thought that was interesting. Small little that was details. A rough, that was
0: a rough... Yeah. <laughs> that was a rough scene. That was rough.
2: I mean, he's, there's a lot of things that are really beautiful in it and things that weren't explained that all at once were, like, her... Uh, her neck. Her neck. And then, oh my God. And then all at once there, she can breathe. It reminded
1: know. me of Amelie, but an adult version oh of Amelie. Oh my gosh.
2: I totally was like thinking an adult of Amelie. Version of Amelie. Like I, the colors, the yes. cinematography,
1: the whimsy, everything.
2: Yes, exactly. I was thinking that when she was in the bus. All at once I was thinking, this reminds me of Amelie. I wasn't sure why. But just the details of everything. And even her walking and doing the, the, the tap dancing, and um, I went home and showed my daughter the, the, step, the step dance with Shirley Temple, so um, I, I loved it too.
1: I mean, if it doesn't win for production design or art direction, I'll be very surprised, but that's an auteur director's vision, just everything, every small little detail was placed, and it was perfect for me. Best picture quality? I mean, maybe, but I just loved it, and I loved how it looked, how it felt, and I loved you know, theater thinking, wow, that's what a film can be, and that's what it should be. That's entertainment, but and it didn't really, it had a message, but it wasn't like in my face message. It was like, I can just sit back and relax.
2: Yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't, I felt like uh, I was overwhelmed by, that's where the music comes in, and the, the, uh, the colors are coming out of me, the music is coming out of me, the characters are coming out at me. There's, it just moves along really nicely. I thought it was really beautiful. And your thoughts? Do you have thoughts on this? We'll be
0: the dissenting one here. Okay. Um, it's like me and my wife went out to see this, and I'll agree. It is fantastically, it's a solidly well-made movie. It's a fantastically beautiful set piece. The CGI is gorgeous. The, Creature um, is fantastic. It's probably one of his best work, and to see Doug Jones. Yes, Doug um, Jones. Basically taking a lead role. I mean, here's a guy who's been nothing but creatures pretty much his whole life. Hellboy. Um, Hellboy, he's on Star Trek Discovery. Um, But at the end of the day, I don't know if it was the mood of how I was in that day. I just got nothing. I got a little bit from the movie, but nothing that's like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Um, So I don't know how much my mood that day played into it. I'm going to have to watch it again when it comes out on on film or on video, but
2: pay attention to like some of the tie-ins they have. Like they have this, the beginning where they show her life and the fact that she's only finding pleasure in water. Like, and then at the end, she finds love and water. Like, it ties into that whole thing. It's like a fairy tale. It's yeah. It's like
1: an here, adult fairy tale.
2: Here's where she's finding pleasure. It happens to be in water. And then, I don't know about the egg thing. That's I, protein and just eggs were representing something there. Fertility probably. Yeah, something going on there. Yeah.
0: So I, I'll <laughs> watch it again, but like. To me, it wasn't a, you know, if somebody asked me, I wouldn't have told them to rush out to the theater to go see it. It's something I think you can get just as much out of it,
1: renting it at home.
2: Okay, we're saying home. no. I'm Go see it in the movie theater. The bigger the screen, the better.
1: I would think so, yeah. So. Okay.
0: <laughs> and that's how we do it here. We're yeah. not all agreeing on the same thing.
2: Definitely not, obviously. Where are we going next?
0: You... Greatest Showman.
2: Oh, The Greatest Showman. Okay, so I've seen this movie. <laughs> I've seen this movie three times because... Are you sure it's only three? I, it is. Now, when the soundtrack came out, we started... My daughter is seven years old uh, and my other daughter's... Oh, my gosh. I said she was seven. She's eight. She's, she's eight. My other daughter's five. Um Zoe loves musicals. And so I could see this coming. So we were listening to the music. We had all the music listened to before we went to see the movie. Um, so I took her, uh, just she and I, the first time to see if Harper could actually go. And we had a great time. I wasn't going to go in and try to critique everything and just, but I, it was just, I had, a, I had a great time. The music was great. I liked I think I like every song. I'm pretty sure. I don't think there's anything I particularly skip. Um, but Hugh Jackman is very entertaining, and Zach Efron, you know, he looked different. That was he, the hair, something going on. I'm not sure. He looked a little different. His muscles. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, Michelle Williams, uh, beautiful voice. The one thing I will say. Is um, the disappointing factor of um, give me her name? She plays the um, the opera star. Yes. Okay. Ingrid. Yes. Um, that was when I saw it in the movie. It was captivating then to find out that it wasn't her singing. Yeah. <laughs> was I just it, it, I thought about not telling Zoe. But then I told her to, show. you know, like this is how real movies are made.
0: I'll give them credit for this. The lip syncing well, for that.
2: Oh my gosh, incredible.
0: You I was completely fooled. I, I was mean, fooled I've, the I've third watched time. people do the voiceovers like that and even the people that really sang their parts later on in the film, she looked better than some of them. She did. It was just it was like, holy cow. It was,
2: it was, that was gorgeous. And even knowing, cause we knew the second and the third time we saw it, um, we took Jason to see it because he was actually interested after listening to the soundtrack on repeat all the way to Cleveland. Um, that I still couldn't tell. I kept looking, trying to find her to slip up and it was beautiful, but it's just, it's just entertaining. It's fun. It, you don't worry about anything. Now is it, and, of
0: course, who wrote it?
2: Historically factual. No. And who wrote the music? The same boys.
0: It's my boys. And Paul
2: again. My boys. I, you know, because we Zoe and I also went to see La, La Land three times as well. So, um, yeah, she, were, it was, she said, I could go see The Greatest Showman every single day. <laughs> but, yeah. I've only fun. seen it
0: once. My daughter's probably seen it Five or six times now. I mean like that's all she was talking about for about two weeks was like I want to go see it. So she would just go with her grandmother or her friend and they'd go and see it. Um, as, a, as a one-off just going into the theater and seeing it, I loved it. I got more out of that as a feeling than I did watching The Shape of Water.
2: Oh sure and I'm glad that you actually posted that that you saw it and loved it because I think that kind of gave Jason a push to go.
0: Um, now in terms of story, there's a lot That's left out. There's a lot that you desired about the whole background on that. (laughs) But just as straight as a musical and just going to listen to the music, um, I think it's a strong piece to watch. Um, Of course, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably going to be rolling out of theaters, so it's not going to be in there much longer. So wait to see it on video and uh, invite your friends over and your family over and just have a good time watching it.
2: They're going to have a sing-along one. You know they're going to have a sing-along because they do that. So that will be fun. As long as it's
0: not frozen. Okay.
2: (laughs) I know, but I think the sing-along version will be quite fun too. So.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our watch list, and we're going to take a short break, and we come back. We'll talk about our topic, our media of the week, and wrap it up. Okay, and welcome back today's topic. We are going to be talking about critics and rating systems Tony Tell me about some of the ones that you know about out there
1: I usually stick with Rotten Tomatoes and that's because it's easy and simple they have all the reviews I need right there and I can just scroll through each one and read them and Rotten Tomatoes takes all the reviews and puts them together in one place and they aggregate them so they don't review films, they just gather. And I know a lot of people have given them some slack for the Last Jedi, but it's not their fault. Critics speak and audiences speak, and they just put it out there for you.
0: How much weight do you put on uh, reviews and critics? I mean, how, much, how much does that influence your decision to go see a particular movie?
1: It really doesn't at all, actually. I don't. I read the review to see how they're worded and see if someone's pepping themselves out to studios, which means they're putting out blurbs like best film of the year when it's January 3rd. But I generally just read for plot details. Like sometimes reviewers give out little snippets of information I may want to know. But I just read to be entertained and then I go see it on my own. It's usually the actors or the writing that gets me to see a film.
0: So you usually stick with Rotten Tomatoes. You go in there and dig through the reviews and figure out, you know, the one or the critics that you want to follow and yeah. go through there. How about you, Val?
2: I am also a Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I go in and I, I I just take it a little bit of a gander. I don't read too much before I see the movie. I may I've been known to take a look at it and go, "Oh, maybe we shouldn't see this." But um I feel like if it's over 50%, then, okay, it's 13%. I'm probably not going to waste my time, I will say that, which is maybe not good of me. But I um, also, I do not until Roger Ebert passed away, I guess he was the one that I read, and then he passed away and I haven't really read anyone else. I was a, an Ebert lady, but, um, so I, I kind of look them over and I don't read a ton of, I don't read a lot of, of the, uh, criticisms, I guess.
0: Me personally, I've, I, tr- I've always tried to stay away from reading reviews before I go and see a movie. Um, you know, my, my typical going into a film is I see a trailer. I like if it interests me enough or there's a certain director or a certain actor, I put them on my list and those, I'm going to see them pretty much regardless. And the problem that I hate is, you know, if you go to schedule something in Fandango, Fandango has the rotten tomato score right there. Yeah. So it's like it subconsciously is feeding my, my criticism or review going in before I go to see it. Um, but I really don't have one that I go to constantly. I kind of just recently discovered um, uh, Metacritic and CinemaScore, who are also another aggregation sites as well. Um, uh, CinemaScore basically gives a letter rating, and Metacritic um, does the whole 100, 0 to 100%. Um, but they all do the same thing, they find critics. Um, has there been any critics? You know, you've gotten Roger Ebert. I don't have any critics that stand out to me that says I'm always going to trust the review. Um, I've kind of just become to the point where a lot of the critics that I've reviewed, they're kind of uppity and snippety. And, you know, some movies that I think are good, they just kind of stick a nose at and turn around. And some things that they praise as great. I just end up being like, that's a snooze fest. I have no interest in seeing it. And no matter what praise you're going to give it, I'm not going to go see it.
2: Example, The Post. I will say that going in to see that movie and having complete um, (laughs) a brain that's not remembering a ton and then finding out it was Steven Spielberg, it was an interesting way of seeing it. Had I gone in thinking, oh, this is a Steven Spielberg movie, I wonder if I would have gone in with, you know, rosier, uh, rosier glasses than I have. So
0: I know I probably would have, you know, it, my wife still wants to see it, so we'll probably end up seeing it, but by the time we get to the theaters, it's going to probably be out of theaters. Um, but yeah, as Spielberg is one of those, if he's involved in the film as a director, I'm typically there. I want, you know, he's my favorite director that I want to go see. And, uh, that does influence you as well. Um, We've had an interesting discussion this week as we try to put together, you know, this being our first podcast and trying to figure out how we want to talk about films. And, you know, we each have our own little bit of a rating system and we kind of put them down this week, um, I would say on paper, but it was actually in our browser windows. So um, as to the different weight that we actually give to films to see if we can come up with something that we could share on our website, that would be a solid scoring system for at least for us, you know, you know, things that we. And at the end of the day, we found out that we were just a little bit off and Val said
2: that I felt like we should just be dealing with questions, uh, like th- that actually have to do with what you saw. I mean, I'm a feeler, I'm a feeler when it comes to movies. So, it, you know, I, I want I to know. think you'd
0: make a good psychiatrist.
2: Oh, I've been told. I think it's probably because I have gone, I go so much. So it helps.
0: We'll change it to Dr. Val. Dr. Um,
2: Val. <laughs> but um, I feel like there are things that when people talk about movies, they don't particularly talk like, um, like a film student would, which is kind of how we were trying to. And I kept thinking, gosh, this isn't going to work because, um, like, what kept you watching it? That's the question I asked you. What kept you watching this this show that you didn't even like? Um, So when you deal with questions, um, like what brought me out of seeing the post, like what was it that made me not believe in it? And a lot of it was the costuming and the way the film looked to me and the way it just seemed like there's Tom Hanks, you know, Playing somebody, you know, I I just felt pulled out of it. Yeah. And then when I watched, um, let's see here, when I, oh, well, Shape of Water, the music brought me in. The music told me kind of what I, you know, okay, we now we're going to go this way. Now we're going to, you know, dealing with um, the feeling of of each shot, almost the colors in Dunkirk. When I was watching Dunkirk, which we'll talk about, I realized, but yep. the colors just
0: popped. And when we, when we looked at our scoring system, you know, the one thing that became evident is, you know, we all put a heavy weight on story and acting. And we all had our own views on the technicality of film. And uh, the thing I found interesting with the question aspect of this is it's going to make me think about films a little bit differently because I've never really thought of them on a deep question answer um, type basis. It's always been, you know, you watch a movie, oh man, that music, you know, stood out so much. It moved me in a way that if that music wasn't there, right, then it probably wouldn't have been the same film for me. Um, so I'd put a heavy weight on the music or, you know, you see a certain look to a film in the cinematography. Like, you know, we have a movie like Gladiator where the cinematography is just phenomenal. Um, you know, if you put different different cinematography on that, you didn't put the same frame rates on that, you'd have a completely different film that I don't think would have worked as well. Um, So going to the question and answer is going to make me think a little bit more, a little bit more deeper about films and might even adjust what I eventually go see in the future.
2: I also feel like um, when when the lights came on after The Shape of Water, I kind of was in an overload. And so I was going to, I was talking to a friend right afterward. And I said, okay, I'm going to actually talk about a different movie because I have to, this needs to sit with me for a while. Like some movies are, like you have to sit with them for a little bit. So I feel like that's part of it too. Like what are the movies that you can't really speak about directly afterward. Or what are the movies that lights came on, and you were like, what the hell was that? Like I seriously cannot believe I would just watch this shit.
0: So um, it's funny that you say when the lights came on and uh, I just remember this the first thing after we watched Shape of Water, there was probably about a dozen of us in the theater, a really tiny theater, so you know, when the person like three rows behind you says something, you can audibly hear it because you're not struggling it. And it was a very much a, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, I heard laughing. Nobody really knew kind of what to feel or what, I mean, we didn't have the laughing, but.
2: No, I had laughing in mine.
0: When I first started trying to come up with a way to score films. And one of my factors was audience reaction. Like, and so mm-hmm. I would purposely, I try to go as to as many opening nights as possible on a film. I don't like waiting three months or two months down the road with a you know the theaters, the audiences have thinned out, and people have been talking about it. I like being right on the edge and being able to see what is the audience feeling with it, because their feeling sometimes influences my feeling of the movie.
1: Well,
2: yeah. Speaking of which, do you enjoy seeing movies alone more than no with people? See, I go to see movies rather, by myself. I'd rather all see.
0: The time. I want to sit right in the middle of the theater, dead center. And be surrounded by people.
2: No, I meant... Um,
0: However, you, you go talk to me next to a movie, I will punch you in the face. I mean, do you want to go with your wife?
2: Or, I mean, I have to go to movies alone a lot because Jason has to stay with the girls, so I'm going to the movies. But I've always gone to movies alone, um, which I enjoy because I don't worry so much about what the person next to me is feeling.
0: Yeah, I do. I do go to a lot of movies without my wife or my girls because my wife has a Completely different uh, view of films than I do. And she has a very certain type of things that she'll go and see in theater with me. So, you know, she's not going to sit through an action movie. She's not going to sit through uh, war drama, Uh, you know, those kind of things like, eh, those are my. So, you know, I go and find something at 10 o'clock at night or a midnight showing and just go and watch them. Um, That way I take the family factor out of it and I don't have to worry about, like, oh, what are my girls going to do? Why is my wife sitting there with the girls? And
2: my gosh, Jason gets up and leaves. He gets up and he, now he gets up and leaves, and so I'm like, dude, it's like two weeks in a row he got up and had to leave a theater because he was just like, nope, i not, I'm not watching this. So that, that's a lot of it. I can just sit and watch and enjoy.
1: Yeah,
0: I, mean, I definitely do see them in that terms of seeing them on my own. Yeah, you know, and even when I invite friends to come along with me to go see movies, it's just like the same thing you say one word during the movie, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, 12 strong, I was ready to walk out of the theater because the guy next to me, every other word that came out or whatever was happening on the screen, it was like,
1: huh. uh
0: huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, those are bad people, uh uh-huh. It's like constantly people. throwing narration things underneath. Now, there may have been stuff going on that I'm just not aware of, but in terms of that setting, it's like it kept taking me out of the movie for the first 15 minutes until all of a sudden he settled in and then it started up about 45 minutes later and I was like, I can't deal with this. Um, so yeah, if you, if you're going to be one of those, I, I rather would not go to the movie with you.
2: Our third time seeing, uh, the greatest showman, I turned to the women that were right next to us and I said, I just, you know, we're going to probably sing during this movie. I hope that doesn't bother you. And I was joking, thinking that they were going to be like, Oh, and they're like, not a problem, we'll probably join you, <laughs> you know? So I think it just depends on definitely who's around you.
1: Uh, my thing is I, I and my wife, we have different tastes too, but I spend at least five minutes finding my seat in the theater. Like I try to find the perfect spot. So I do the Sheldon snap snap and I will sit, I like sitting in the back so I don't have to really, I can see the big picture as well as kind of forget people are there. Because if I have that straight on head vision, I'm easily distracted by things. So I sit in the back, I find my ground zero zone, and I just soak it in. Um, when people uh, talk during the movies, I kind of glare. And, or I'll put my hand up, you know, with the finger point. like that. And I'm not looking away from the screen, but I'm still wagging my finger. Um, I also watch the credits of films. Like I will, It's a respect thing for me where I will purposely sit through all the final credits of the film. It's not for... Uh, I guess, a a scene I'm looking for is just saying, these are my brothers and sisters in film, and they spent however long making this. And they may not get all the attention, but I'm gonna honor them, respect them by watching their name go by, because they worked hard for it. And it may sound cheesy or weird, but that's a way for me to show respect, but also decompress before I go out to the real world and deal with real life, if that makes
2: sense. No, I think it's it makes total sense.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, we all have our different influences on what the film are, and going back, you know, this is how we're going to deal with it and going forward. You know, we're going to have our, our own website set up, and we're going to answer these questions um, regarding a movie that we've seen. And instead of putting up a score, instead of putting up lettering, we're going to put up these questions, and we're going to talk about the film. And the same thing as we're doing here with our our watch list. Um, once we release our episode podcast after we've talked about it. It's gonna be a very simple bottom line. See it. What did I say? No. Skip it. Skip it. See it, skip it. See it, skip it, or save it for a rainy day. Um there are several movies that I think are good that are in theaters, but it's just gonna be just as good as you watching it on your couch at home. So skip the, you know, twelve dollar fee of seeing it at the at the movies and rent it for four dollars at home. You're not gonna lose anything in, in that translation. There are certain movies that I think Oh, just deserve to be seen in the theater agreed speaking of films that you know deserve to be seen in certain formats whether it be in the theater or at home in a a nice setting with you and your family um, leads us to this week's media of the week each show we're going to focus on one thing that we all think let's all watch this and we're all going to give our own opinions on it and why we Uh, whether we agree with it or disagree with it, and just hash it out. It's going to be a little bit more in-depth than our um, rounds that we just went through a little bit ago. So this week, we're talking about Dunkirk. Tony,
1: take it away. Dunkirk is directed by Christopher Nolan, scored by Hans Zimmer, and is starring Mark Relance, Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh, James Darcy, Selene Murphy, and has Harry Styles in it, surprisingly.
2: All right. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Interesting little story about the Harry Styles. Do you know that? No. So Christopher Nolan hired him to be an actor and that he had no clue who he was. He never realized yeah. how famous he was. His daughter figured out that he had Harry Styles on it and she went crazy because she was a One Direction fan. Mm-hmm. And Nolan, it wasn't until then that he realized how famous Harry Styles was. And you know, here he is putting him as a bit role and a really good bit role yeah, in right. this film. So. I will
2: say that I am... Um horribly disappointed that i watched this on my tv instead of seeing it on screen
0: this film i saw on imax opening night oh geez. the imax around here typically shows stuff in imax 3d and there's only usually one or two nights or showings that you can actually catch the 2d version of it and so you got to be very careful like looking to see you know when is that 2d showing because once it's gone you never get a chance again and when opening night saw an IMAX 2D And the things that Nolan has been doing And I think he started it with Dark Knight Was the first time he started dabbling with IMAX scenes right. And him really just flexing his muscle With what he can do with IMAX Just phenomenal shots in this film throughout um, But the sound The sound is
2: Or the lack of sound
0: Yeah but every, every little piece of sound was accentuated mm-hmm. to 100. So what are, your, what are your thoughts and your feelings on this, Tony?
1: Oh, I like the film a lot. I saw it at home. Shouldn't have, but I made sure I had my headphones on so I could hear every little sound, every tick of the, the watch. Um, and I loved everything about it. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, I read the screenplay before, and that should be known I read before I watch because I don't like surprises. Um, but... <laughs> It was... It's a
0: beautiful thing that Nolan does. He always has, you know, you can't say it's a gimmick, but he always does something just slightly different than most normal filmmakers do in their films. And honestly, if you go through Christopher Nolan's repertoire oh, of films, right. I mean, I can't pick out one that I say, this is a horrible film. He's just been constantly putting out film after film that is good. And he, as Tony just mentioned, you know, the ticking of the clock, he took this little aspect of time and mm-hmm. just turn it on its head mm-hmm. to see how it would play out. And you know, Hans Zimmer, who has been his composer since um, Dark Knight, right. they've he just been that. honing all these different sounds and different effects. And for this, it was simple. He just started out with a ticking clock, and then that set the tone of the whole movie. And you know, I've heard a lot of people after seeing this film that, oh, I didn't get it. I don't see why it's so great. I don't see why it's a masterpiece. And I think it's a masterpiece in its simplicity of being able to tell a story of time from three different, basically three different narratives.
2: Which a lot of people got confused with. Um, I, I had a friend and my dad actually were both horribly confused after seeing the movie. Like they had no idea what was going on and they got confused with the storylines. I I did not um, at all for some reason. It just it, it didn't I think maybe if you I think if you're paying
0: attention to the subtitles, yes. you get it pretty quick.
2: Well, I think at the it beginning... It the time. Yeah, and they... Th- well, they show Link, you at the beginning. Day, hour. Yes. But they... I don't... That can be missed. That can no, be missed. Even if
1: you didn't see that, I mean, there's different stories there. you can tell. If you were, there are three different... How would I say that? There's sequences, I guess, or segments. And there's one in the water, there's one in the air, and there's one on the ground. I mean, there's... I mean, there's some overlap with the ground and the water, but they all tie together. I mean, you don't really have to be watching the subtitles in the beginning to... Did that.
0: you notice that also ties in with Winston Churchill's speech? Yes. At the end? In the land, in the sea, in the air? Yes. You know, there's very, dis- like, purposeful choices that Nolan does that are just, like, kind of in your face. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it just kind of all hit waxy at the end when the Churchill speech is playing.
2: I enjoyed Kenneth Branagh not trying to take over the movie yes. and not overacting.
0: I think that is the key to the movie. Is His face. There is not a lead actor. Talk. Right. The one who is in everything, pretty much, is... Um, I didn't put his name on the list, um, but he barely said... I think he has a total of maybe five lines. Okay. Um, you follow? You start with him being the only survivor or as his, the rest of the guys around him get shot. That was jarring to city. watch.
1: That was jarring, like... First thing seeing that, and then just it's like I call this film a less tense version of Saving Private Ryan, which is
2: Much a totally different thing, but less it's, tense.
1: it's just there was calm and they're kind of goofing around, finding trying to get to where they're trying to get to, and then chaos hits. While Private Ryan just starts off slow, and then you hit D Day, but they're totally different animals. There's an American, you know, director versus British director, and it's nice seeing what the British have gone through, and I don't know if the British just have a thing with, I guess, I don't know how I can explain that, and I guess I should come back to that, but I just felt less tense, like D-Day, Normandy, Beach, and Saving Private Ryan, I was just tense the whole time, and I guess that's what Stephen wanted, was that tension, but I didn't lose that. I My mean, shoulders were hunched during Private Ryan, and during Dunkirk, I could lower them. I wasn't as edgy.
2: Well, did and, anybody notice that it wasn't, there were, there were some quiet moments. Yeah. I mean
1: it was on purpose. I
0: mean, it, his quiet. whole I think his whole experiment with this was all about sound.
2: Yeah. I mean it was I mean
0: it wasn't about anything with film, it wasn't anything with story, it was all about sound and making you feel you know, making you feel like you're in the airplane with a guy firing, make you feel like you're in the water when they, you know, the, the trip's going under. You know. Somewhat.
2: But it was also even it was less quiet than that. I felt like if if I was there there would have been more sound.
1: The uh, funny tidbit, the veterans from that say that the soundtrack was louder than the actual event. Like the bombs and explosions and singing was quieter than the soundtrack, like the soundtrack, the score, the sound design was louder. And they were, sorry, yeah. They said that a lot of things were subdued and it impressed them and no one found that funny. Another thing too, they shot an IMAX. There's a plane that went down in the film, a lot of planes went down, but there's an IMAX camera in that plane, and the plane went down faster than they thought it would go down, so the footage was soaked with water, and Nolan, thinking top of his head, kept the film wet, and they shipped it to LA as fast as possible, and they, before it could dry out, and that footage from that sinking prematurely is actually in the film. So, the camera got drowned, and they used that same footage because Nolan thought, keep the footage wet, keep the camera wet, keep everything wet, just ship it, and...
2: That's interesting.
1: I mean, it's beautifully shot. I mean, my favorite Shot ever in the film is the end when Tom Hardy's character is just gliding, just gliding down. Yep. And that was real. It wasn't CGI. It was a real plane coming down, and that him pumping the wheels down and.
0: I think that's that's a good thing too. Is just you know, everything was real. Yeah. Everything felt real. It didn't feel like you were taken out by like, oh, that was a weird CGI effect that wasn't <laughs> really finished off in post. It was just, it was just a beautiful. You know it's a very simple story from beginning to end for me um you mentioned kenneth Branagh in there you know just a very simple understated just yeah play your role be your role don't okay. take it over but then you got somebody like you know you got uh mark rylance who is phenomenal a phenomenal theater actor um he was in bridge of spies which was uh spielberg's last film and he just a phenomenal little piece that he's in there and uh but to me, you know, have you ever have do you ever seen Peaky Blinders on no, Netflix? No. Sidebar, Peaky Blinders, highly recommended. There's three seasons on there right now. Cillian Murphy. Fantastic. And in this film, he plays basically as close as you can get to the villain of the movie um, as to what happened in his resolution at the end. But Cillian has been Nolan's kind of little play toy since Dark Knight and being able to pop up in a couple of his films here and I like what Nolan does he finds those actors that are strong that can pull out those little tiny little things and be able to play them to effect so that he doesn't stand out so he doesn't play a lead role he's a very solid supporting actor Mm -hmm. and I think that's what sets apart a lot of Nolan's films is that he pulls back those people that are so used to being lead actors and says just be this person.
2: Mm-hmm. And I also felt like I mean yes, with the sound correct, but th- honestly, before the sound, uh, the colors got to me. I did. Uh, do you guys notice the color? I the didn't movie? really
1: notice the colors. Really? That, that didn't really stand out. I for mean, me. they were they were muted. Yeah, I they mean, were, but not like pop, pop, pop. Like this is a different color I scheme think, for I this. I thought they were beautiful. It was. I
0: I, mean, I I think the film was gorgeous, but in terms of cinematography, it doesn't hold a candle to Twenty Forty Nine.
2: No. Well, no. I'm just saying. We're that all hoping I kept exhausted. saying, look how beautiful it is. Look at, look at that. Look at, I don't know. Um, the eyes of these people. I mean, the blueness and I don't know. Mm-hmm. just."
1: That was my just, thing, too. I mean, I didn't recognize Cillian in this film until I saw I mean, it's weird to say, but I look at faces and I saw all that dirt on his face and then took his lips and I said, wait, that's Cillian. Like, I knew he was in the movie, but I'm like, where is, where is he? Where is he? I'm like, oh, wait, that's him. And Mark, I know Mark from Broadway, Jerusalem. That was his Tony Award, and that was a phenomenal play. So Mark got me on Broadway during Jerusalem, and he got a Tony Award for that part, and then I've been following him ever since. And he got an Oscar, I think, a year, last year or the year before. He won right. last year for, yeah. um, for, for The Spice. So, yeah, he, he's finally getting his due, and people are noticing him, which is fantastic.
0: I, I'm kind of afraid that he's starting to become Hollywood's little yeah. hit guy, but... As long as he does solid work, I have nothing about watching something that he's in. And I think his his role as the the father and what he did with the ship and, you know, it was just like, you know.
1: I didn't catch what he did at first. I mean, I read the screenplay, and I so I knew, But on film watching, I mean, I try to separate the screenplay reading from the movie. But I said, he's taking the boat. And I said, oh, wait, he doesn't want to be commanded. He doesn't want to be told what to do. But that little subtle, like, okay, we're leaving now, we're leaving, we're leaving, and then... Tommy jumps on the boat with them. That was a small little thing, and that worked for me.
0: You have this, the whole ticking and the whole sound, and everything is loud going throughout this whole film to the point where they're riding on the train, and Harry Styles goes to talk to um, his brother. I can't really say his friend. I would call him his, his new brother, and all of a sudden the sound stops, the ticking stops, and it's just this completely quiet moment. Mm -hmm. And you realize, and then you have the Winston Churchill playing over the next part. Um, For me, out of everything I've seen this year, you know, I haven't seen Lady Bird. I haven't seen three billboards. This was the best picture for me out of everything I've seen this year. I love the quality of this film inside and out. And that's taking apart from my love for just Christopher Nolan and, you know, Hans Zimmer. There is nothing in Hans Zimmer's score that stands out. I've listened to it three or four times just to say, you know, is there something there? It's not. This is just a very, I don't know if you can even classify it as an experimental piece for Hans Zimmer because there's no main themes.
2: I did know it was Hans Zimmer, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I kept saying, that's Hans. I think that's Hans. I said, who is it? And Jason's looking it up. Christopher Nolan. No, I meant <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack. Who is it? Oh, oh yeah, it's Hans, Hans Zimmer. I
1: it's kind of it like right. Steven and George, like relying on um, George. Uh, uh, John Williams. John Williams. Uh, yeah. John Williams. go to. Got to love of the horns in the background.
2: Okay. Well, we're in the city.
1: Yeah, yeah, but
0: but to me, I mean, in terms of the score, there was nothing that was. There's nothing that's going to be played at the best of hits for Hans Zimmer in 10 years. It's just it wasn't set out that way from the beginning, and I'm kind of glad it was because it wasn't like no one thing in the movie put itself above another. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's best picture. Definitely not best score, but definitely best picture.
2: Are you going to see the other movies?
0: Before Oscar time, probably not. Okay. There's a lot of stuff coming up that are on my list. However, if they end up in rental, maybe.
2: Have you seen Lady Bird?
1: I read the screenplay for it, and I was excited to see Lady Bird, but then I read the screenplay, and I was turned off from Lady Bird.
2: Great. So I will see
1: it, just because I like Greta a lot, but...
2: I'm going to see it. I was like... I'm one of those. I have to see all of them.
0: And also preface... er, Post... post Postface? Preface? Postface. Whatever the correct terminology of that would be. There are very, very, (laughs) very, very few films that I actually buy to keep in my collection. Correct. Dunkirk has been one of them. I went out on Friday, bought the film, just so I can watch it yesterday.
2: Oh, because you don't rewatch movies.
0: I do not. I very... um, There's probably about 20 movies that I've watched more than once. Wow. And that's taking out the Marvel. The Marvel things are just fun to watch those are kind of a guilty pleasure guilty pleasure yeah um but dunkirk was one of those ones that i, I felt like i had to put that one in my collection because it was good and i just I'd watched it yesterday that. and i watched again i was like this is fantastic but any further thoughts on dunkirk from either of you no all right anything else that popped your curiosity this week that you watched or listened to
2: well i i listened to audiobooks all day what did you uh, listen to? Well, right. I, Let me
0: guess. Calling me by your name.
2: Well, I started that last night. Um, I, I've been re-listening to. I will say I want to give a bit of a shout out to um, a book that I did listen to, Rules of Civility, by Amar Tolles. He is probably more well-known for The Gentleman in Moscow. Um, but Rules of Civility is beautifully done. I spent my... Actually, I spent my week re-listening to to Jane Fonda's My Life So Far, which I really enjoy. And if anybody has any issue with Hanoi Jane, they would just have to listen to the book, so maybe they would understand a little bit more what happened there. And then I am listening to Just Kids uh, for the second time. Um, And, yeah, those are the ones that I've been... Listening to um, And then yeah I'm starting with my Call Me By Your Name which so far Is very good
1: How about you Tony? Well I'm a gamer so I play a lot of video games In my spare time to help me unwind And relax a little bit Um, But recently I'll say like two years ago I started noticing that A lot of video games and mobile games On my phones have very Amazing scores like music like to the point where they're almost parallel great like movie scores. And just this week I downloaded the score for um, Loner which is a mobile game you can play on your Android or your iPhone and it's a meditative kind of game where you're a pilot and you're basically uh, flying into an abyss and there's a lot of meditative, transcendental music to listen to and you crash, you just restart all over again and you just It puts you in a zone, it's very peaceful. Um, I would play that game just for the music alone, actually, and it's just a really deep game, actually, and the story unfolds as you play. And it takes a while to get into it, but once you do, you won't want to put it down until your battery on your phone dies.
0: (laughs) So it's definitely recommended. Yes, definitely.
1: Well, this week, I didn't have
0: much time as I was getting uh, things ready and put together for this podcast, but I did get notified on Spotify that Jack White put out some new music. Um, He has a new album coming out March 23rd, Boarding House Ranch. I am a huge Jack White fan, um, probably in my top five uh, people I listen to. So he put out a new single, uh, Connected by Love and Respect, Commander. Um, I'm kind of mixed on how I feel about this. Uh, his last album was Lazaretto, um, which I think was some of his best work that he's done. This does not feel like his best work. So I'm hoping there's some kickers in, uh, boarding house ranch, um, that are there that are going to keep me. Um, but I am excited that he's actually going on tour and he's going to be coming to Rochester. So June 7th. We have an opportunity to see him, so I'm probably most likely going to see him because
2: you're in no, a huge year, yeah. Hans Zimmer, too, aren't you?
0: Hans Zimmer was last year,
2: last year was and that last year, yeah,
0: it was last summer. Oh my god, it'll be almost a year to the date.
2: I'm I've had slow.
0: I, I, I had very few people on my list of people that I want to see in concert, and Jack White was number one, and Hans Zimmer was number two. And the fact that I have back to back years, I can get them both off my list. That's pretty nice. awesome, that's pretty awesome. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to his new album, like I said. I hope there's something better than the two that they released on there. It's not looking good. Um, I really, 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 really wish that him and Meg would get back together and do the White Stripes album, do something new with the White Stripes. I think he's at his best when he is with Meg. Um, his solo stuff hasn't been great, except for Blackback I love that song. I think it was just phenomenal. Val, what are something you're looking forward to seeing before we meet up again?
2: I'm actually uh, seeing or listening to or anything, correct? Anything. Anything you want. Um, with the uh, Audible has like a, a very minimal selection of plays that I can listen to. I just want to let you know. Mm. So the only one, the ones that I found, let's see here. Um, so you can tell me whether you say skip it. Okay. So, uh, dinner with friends is on there. E? Not bad. Okay. And Prelude to a Kiss is on there.
1: That's actually quite good. Okay.
2: So I'll listen to that one first, and then um, actually there is a book of poetry that came out. Um, this girl, um, she died in 1942, but her poetry. She was 24. I'm going to get you her name one moment. Her name is Joan Murray, and she has a book coming out um, called Drafts, Fragments, and Poems, the Complete Poetry of Joan Murray. And I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of really interested in, in looking into that. So those are my, those are the ones I'm looking forward to this week. How about you, Tony?
1: I'm going to be continuing my run-through of Oscar contenders or just potentials. I mean, I know the nominations are coming out soon, but I like to watch them before they're tainted with the Oscar love, I guess. Um, I heard about I, Tonya, so I'll be looking into that, reading that one first, then watching it, and whatever else, I guess, gets my fancy. But just getting that Oscar stuff out of the way so I can relax a little bit. <laughs> True. Relaxation, what's that?
0: <laughs> I am looking forward to I have something I have been, like, tracking for probably six months now um the alienist is coming on to tnt january 22nd is that That's from the book night. the book i don't know i don't it, read books
2: it, i I've, <laughs> i'm
0: being honest right now i stay away from books and anything that will influence the way i watch a film or tv and then if there is something based on it i'll go back and read it after
2: i believe it it's a book it was one of my it's uh, one of my good friends best her favorite book
0: it's about a 19th century serial killer cir- in the investigation. hmm Yeah. So this one's got Daniel Brew and Luke Evans and Dakota Fanning.
1: Wow. I um, haven't
0: seen anything with Dakota in it in many, many years. Uh, Daniel Brew is just kind of... He's fin- been
1: coming in yeah, rising. little Little,
0: little little bits. Um, Luke Evans is a strong actor. Um, last thing I saw him on was Beauty and the Beast, but, I mean, the guy puts on any role he's strong in.
1: I was I actually liked that role for him. It was interesting. Yeah. It was different.
0: Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to this, and what's like gotten me more accurate or anticipation is every time I go to the theater, it's there. It's playing before a thing. It's like, oh, coming in, coming then, coming then, coming in. So it's like for the past six months, I've been doing nothing but hoping for this, and I'm just like... Went and saw 12 Strong the other day, and I'm like, oh, January 22nd, it's finally here. I'm happy that, you know, get to start watching it this week. And then the other one is a little, probably not one that I'd normally put on my uh, list to be able to watch. I really don't go to the movie theaters to watch horror movies. If horror movies are anything, I'll watch them at home. Um, I was kind of desensitized when I was a little kid by horror movies, so I don't get scared of anything, and they don't really mean a lot to me. But there's two movies coming out this year that have kind of piqued my interest, and it's mainly because of the casting in it. This one's got Helen Mirren Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Jason Clark in a horror story. Helen Mirren and Jason Clark, Two phenomenal actors that I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Um, It could be a horrible movie or it could be good. But I mean, when really good, strong actors sign up for a horror movie, you kind of have to take notice. Right. And later in the year... Isn't is, that Winchester? Yes, Winchester. That's
2: what you, I said. Did you say Winchester? I thought you said it.
0: Okay, I'm so uh, sorry. We'll, we'll have to rewind that and say how I said it.
2: <laughs> well, now we've said it. So now everyone knows. Yes,
0: so Winchester, um, you know, uh, we'll provide a link into our notes to all these things as to where you can find a little bit more information about them. But Again, I, you know, I don't watch a lot of things with Helmir in it because usually, you know, it's like the queen or, you know, but.
2: Because it's usually like the queen?
1: Well, she's uh, come a long way too. She stopped taking her clothes off, which was kind of interesting. So, oh my god, you guys, was
2: ridiculous? It's serious. I don't want to see her like the queen. No, are you saying, you didn't, like didn't no. like are you, saying you didn't like her
1: taking her clothes off? No, I did, didn't rather. I'd rather she keep them on, even okay. when she was younger. And well, she was.
2: I have a book, it was, it's very beautiful. She's beautiful, she is, but She're yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. I'm actually not beautiful. I'm just saying I just didn't enjoy it. You didn't like the queen?
1: It just
0: bored me. Mm. I get bored easily,
2: obviously. <laughs> Moving on,
0: but again. Uh, And so the other one that's tied in, um, A Quiet Place. Uh, It's got Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, and John Krasinski's, like, third feature film. His first two were nothing to, like, hold a candle at, but, I mean... They're together, right? I think so.
2: Aren't they together? I think so. I don't know. I I think so. They're married.
0: I think they're married, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that one kind of piqued my interest. Um, I'll probably wait for that one on... On video, But Winchester, there's not really much coming out in the theaters in the next couple of weeks. So if I make it out to anything, that'll probably be the one thing that I go out and see.
2: Um, February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's That's Day. my birthday. There you go.
0: So that about wraps up our show. It was a little bit longer than uh, hopefully our show's going forward. But we had a lot to talk about today. You know, we had to get you to knowing who we are and what we're about and where we want to go. Um, Tony, where can we find you on social media going forward?
1: I'm all over the place, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at S-M-T-O-R-C-H-I-O. That's S-M-T-O-R-C-H-I-O. That's my Twitter handle.
0: Val, where do you like to hang out on social media?
2: I don't hang out much. Um, I'm on Twitter as Penny Lane 64 Pretty straightforward. So, Yeah.
0: And I am pretty much GF Media anywhere you go. Um, You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. uh, And us, as a show, you can now find us at culturalstew.net. Uh, we'll be posting up some of our reviews that we've talked about today that will be a little bit more long form going forward. Um, we'll hold the reviews until we release the a- episodes so that you actually can have a little bit more in depth uh, of what we think about it. That way, going forward, we can just kind of give you our brief uh, synopsis of how we're feeling about things going forward. You can also find us at at cultural stew net on Twitter and also cultural stew on Facebook. The music today. The intro and break music is Please Listen Carefully Bajizir. And I'm going to take you out on Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. All these were available through the Creative Commons license from freemusicarchive.org. And if you have any original music that you'd like to share with us that you think might be of interest, please contact us and let us know. And you might just hear your music on here. Later. Catch you at the next show. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Patreon is a creator support system that allows people to support the things they love and creators to continue doing what they love. Head on over to patreon.com slash gfmedia and choose the Cultural Stew podcast levels to show your support for us.